Now last week um, we looked at the, uh, the problems that Titus was facing on the island of Crete with uh, the false teachers uh, and how he and we could, uh, could recognize them uh, in terms of their motivations uh, and in terms of their message. Paul had highlighted just why they were so dangerous for the church on the island. These teachers were uh, inconsistent in their conduct uh, compared to what they professed to believe. They relied on a, an outward form of godliness, but their lives displayed, actually, that they did not know God or the reality uh, of the gospel. They weren't the real thing in Paul's eyes. And now in chapter 2, Paul moves from the false teachers and what they are like, really to the church members themselves and what they are to be like in their actions and the lives uh, they live within the church and the various social contexts they are in. Uh, Through the letter we find Paul has a a great emphasis on uh, sound or, or healthy doctrine, as we've seen. But also he's very concerned that the church in Crete not only know what is healthy, but also live in accordance with that message. In Christianity, doctrine, what we believe, and ethics, how we behave, are always inseparable. The message of the gospel so changes people that their lives are changed, their motives change, their conduct changes as the message grips them. And Paul is concerned. He's concerned that the members in the church in Crete should give no excuse to the outside world, either by false teaching or by ungodly behavior, give them no excuse to disregard or ignore the message of the gospel. He wants the church to be a genuine display of the grace of God. As the message changes uh, the people in the church, they are to display that change in godly lives, in holiness. And where this is most evident is, of course, in their relationships. The relationships that the people have in the church. So in verses 1 through 10, chapter 2, we find Paul addressing various groups in the church and how they should live. It's very important for us to understand this because one of the primary ways we display the wonder of the gospel to the outside world is the way we relate to one another. Holiness is not just about having a quiet time or reading your Bible for a whole hour every day. That is good. But it is as much about how we love our neighbor and how we display the grace given to us in the gospel in the relationships that we have. Christianity cannot be simply reduced to my own personal spirituality, which never leaves my home or my private thoughts. It affects everything. It affects our whole lives. What we believe will shape the way we live. So if we believe what is false, the result will be lives that are consistent with that false teaching. Again, that's why Paul wanted godly leaders in the church, in the churches on Crete, to teach the truth. The truth that Paul said leads to godliness and hope of eternal life. And so verse 1, chapter 2, Paul instructs Titus that his work on the island is to teach what is in accord with, or what is consistent with, or what fits with, sound or healthy doctrine. Now, as we look at these verses, we will see that uh, this teaching comes in two forms, if you like. It's verbal. Titus is to communicate the message. But it's also communicated by what we could call modeling or mentoring. 
by displaying that godly character in in our lives for others to see. The true message of the gospel is to be taught to the church and also what accords or what corresponds with that message is also to be taught, either verbally, uh, communicating, or modeling what it looks like. And that shouldn't really surprise us. Most of us pick things up by copying other people, by watching them and picking it up that way. Uh, just at the moment, our, uh, our Elizabeth is at the stage where she's copying a lot of the things that we do. Um, it's amazing the way she picks up mannerisms and expressions. Um, you learn a whole lot about yourself sometimes um, and what your children say. Uh, just this evening, um, Elizabeth was chittering away to Catherine. She goes, not today, Catherine, which is exactly what her mommy would say. <laughs> and so you pick things up just like that. And it's like that with a lot of the ethical conduct that flows from the life-transforming message of the gospel. We are taught it verbally, yes, but we pick a lot of it up by seeing it in other people's lives. How they react in certain situations, in certain circumstances. How they behave towards other people, towards their spouse or their children. So Titus then is to teach the members in the church in Crete to live lives that are consistent with the message of the gospel. Paul lays it out in verses 2 to 10, the different people in the church in regard to to age, to sex, and to status, and how each should conduct themselves in godly living uh, as Christians. So Titus uh, is to turn to the older men, Uh, not elders as in the leadership here, but older men in the church, and I will leave you to decide whether or not you fit into that category. Older men are to be temperate, worthy of respect, self-controlled, sound in faith, love, and endurance. They are to live with a dignity and a maturity that comes with their age. In the Bible, old age is not seen as a bad thing, uh, the way our society would view it. Our society says you should do everything you, ha- everything you can not to get old. But the Bible's view of age says it is associated with wisdom, with maturity. And youth is associated with folly. Our society has reversed those two ideas. Yet older Christian men are to display in their conduct a dignified control of themselves and a maturity in faith, what they believe, in love for others. Um, And they are to be those to whom we can look up to. They are to be worthy of respect for those in the church. Now, I don't know if any of you have had uh, the privilege of knowing godly older men in your lives. Uh, it is a great privilege. I've known a few of them. Um, and there's something very attractive about the manner and the understanding uh, of things that, that they, they have and the, and the way they encourage others around them. Um, and they, I guess in a way they also bring a great reassurance to other people as well in the church. Things always seem to be better when they are around. Maybe that's the best way I could put it for you. They play a very important role in the church. So, older men, are you measuring up? Does your conduct model the godly dignity and maturity to others? Are you healthy in faith, in love, and endurance? Likewise, Titus is to teach older women in the church to live reverently. Uh, This word, reverently, uh, refers to the conduct of a priestess at the time uh, who would have served in a temple. They are to be holy, 
to be devoted to God in their lives. They are not to be slanderers, backbiting, gossiping about people in the church. They are not to be addicted to much wine. Alcohol seems to be, have, have been a particular problem uh, on the island of Crete. These older women are not to fulfill that very negative stereotype from Greco-Roman, Greco-Roman society associated with older women. Rather, they are to teach what is good. They are to use their lips, not for hate-filled slander, but for grace-filled instruction. Older women, again, have a vital role to play in the church. They are to teach by their example and their lives what is good, what is consistent with godly character. Older generations within the church have a unique role to play. They are to live dignified and reverent lives. They are to be devoted to faith, love, and teaching what is good. They are to live life uh, because, essentially, they have lived life. They know what it's like. They have been there. They have done that. They have worn the t-shirt in many ways. And because they have wisdom, they are to pass it on. Yes, through teaching proper behavior, but also modeling it for younger generations. So older women have a role in teaching particularly younger women in the church. Verse 4. Titus himself is not to teach younger women in the church, which I think is pastorally wise, but also it's practically wise because the specific things that older women are to teach to younger, the younger generation are things that only they could really possibly pass on. They are to train younger women to love their husbands and children, uh, which in a society where marriages were arranged usually was not always as easy as we might assume it was. They are to train them, uh, train them to be uh, self-controlled and pure. Notice again this idea of self-control. They are to train them to be busy at home, or maybe we could say better, uh, efficient homemakers. Now let me say um, right off on this one uh, that this passage no more teaches that women should only stay in the home than it does uh, that every woman should be married or every woman should have children. Paul, of course, knows that most women in the society of first century Crete would have been married, and so he is addressing them. He's speaking to the majority. But that doesn't mean that every woman will be, nor does it mean that they will all have children. But what Paul expects the older women to do is to model for the younger women the duty they have to love their husbands and children and to run their home. That doesn't mean they have to be stay-at-home mums, but it does mean they have a responsibility in this area. Younger women are to love their husbands, love their children, and work or manage, might be a better word, the home well. They're not to neglect their duties that they have through marriage to their husband and to their children. And this is not, let me say this, this is not an old-fashioned stereotype of a poor woman slaving away at home that Paul is describing here. Remember the wife of noble character, Proverbs 31? Who not only was involved in the household and running the household, but in business interests outside the household as well. But also, uh, we should say that for a mother to pursue um, professional interests outside the home at the expense of her household is against the spirit and against the wisdom of Scripture. Now again, don't mishear what I'm saying. I'm not saying that women can't have a career and a family. What I'm saying is that if the pursuit of professional advancement and career development 
If in that pursuit they neglect their duties of, in, of, to, to manage the home, then they are going against the advice of Scripture. And there is a growing amount of studies and evidence to show that even for the development of children, it is better for their mother to be at home with them in their most formative years. Not to mention the growing realization, even amongst the most militant of feminists, that in the pursuit to so-called liberate women from the home, they have in fact only been enslaved to something else, be it the need for professional recognition, success, or whatever it is. Younger women are also to be kind or better hospitable, to be subject to their husbands. Of course, the wife's role in the family is submission as the helper to her husband. Paul gives uh, a lot more detail uh, about that in Ephesians 5 uh, in his understanding of the complementary way in which the household is to work, each as equals before God, but with different roles of headship and submission. Again, the best teachers of what that looks like are godly older women who can model it to a younger generation so that they can see it for themselves. And what's more, Paul links here the behavior of uh, Christian house, the Christian household to the mission of the gospel at the end of verse 5. Notice what he says. The reason that this kind of conduct is so important is so that nobody will be able to malign the word of God. Paul will come back to this idea twice over, this next, over the next few verses, where Christian behavior is vital to the mission of the church in promoting the gospel of grace, verses uh, 8 and 10. John Stott, in his commentary, says this, Christian marriage and Christian homes, which exhibit a combination of sexual equality and complementarity, beautifully commend the gospel, those which fall short of this ideal bring the gospel into disrepute. Young men next, Paul turns to them and he says that they again must be self-controlled. This is, of course, one of the major themes in this letter to Titus. Elders are to be self-controlled in chapter 1, verse 8. Paul hints that the false teachers lack self-control in chapter 1, verse 12. Older men are to be self-controlled. He implies in what he says that older women are to be self-controlled. Younger women are to be self-controlled. And now younger men are to be self-controlled. Rather than being slaves to their passions and desires, they are to hold themselves in check. Not allowing their desires to run away with them. And I don't think that uh, what Paul would limit this just to, to sexual desires and urges but also to youthful passions that result from a quick temper. The kind of jump in with two feet attitude that young men tend to have. In 2 Timothy, when we, when we looked at that, we saw Paul calling Timothy to be self-controlled. What he had in mind was not getting into foolish arguments or foolish fights. Young men are to have control of themselves in their conduct in the home and in public. And if as if in the very same thought, Paul then turns to Titus, turns to Titus himself and explains to Titus, um, whom I think we can take fits into the category of younger men here, that he himself is to set an example, to model for others to copy 
by doing what is good. Notice again the repetitive themes here. Elders are to love what is good. Older women are to teach what is good. Uh, Chapter 2, verse 14, Jesus redeems us to be a people who are eager to do what is good. Chapter 3, verse 1, ready to do what is good. Uh, Verse 8, devote ourselves to doing what is good. Chapter 3, verse 14, our people must learn to devote themselves to what is good. Titus is to model the good life. The life lived in response to the gospel of grace. The life that displays what it looks like to live towards God in righteousness and holiness in our relationship with God and with those people around us. He is to teach with integrity, which again carries that idea of of uncorrupted or, or free from any charge against him. The false teacher's motives were selfish and greedy, but Titus is to have integrity in what he teaches. He is to be serious in his teaching. And the message he brings is not something, so that the message he brings is not something that can be easily dismissed. It deals with the most important issues in life. And so his message Not speech, uh, as the NIV has it there, but his message, his message must be sound or healthy. It must be that which produces spiritual fruit, spiritual life. The message that brings faith, knowledge of the truth, that leads to godliness in the hope of eternal life. First four verses again. Why? Why? So that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about you. Titus' message and his his example must be exemplary so that those who oppose him will be proved wrong when they try to bring any charge against him or the message that he preaches. Again, Paul wants the conduct of the church to be such that people see it and respond positively to Christianity. The message of the gospel itself may or may not be attractive to people. We know that. People can react very hostily to it. We know that. But Paul envisages that the church members conduct themselves in such a godly way in their homes and in their lives that those outside might see it, see the way they love one another, the difference that this message of the gospel makes, the difference that Jesus makes, And they will be drawn to it. Now I know you're not really supposed to judge a book by its cover, so they say. But you know, in reality, at least initially, everybody judges a book by its cover. When you walk into a bookshop uh, to pick up a book, do you pick up the, the one that's grubby and dirty with a broken spine that's been on the shelf for so long that it's all faded and not very attractive? Or do you pick up the lovely bright new book lovely colors which just smells right off the printing press of course you automatically pick up the new book well the church that Paul describes is compared to a new book people are attracted to what they see they are drawn to it and once they get into it they get the message as well the church displays an image in the lives of its people that is attractive and people find it appealing Then once they're drawn, they come into contact with the church. They don't just get the cover, they get the whole message as well. The whole message of the gospel. Even for slaves whose lives literally were not their own, Paul wants them to live in such a way that commends 
the gospel, verses 9 and 10. It's estimated that around a third of the entire Roman Empire were slaves. So it's, not quite, so it's quite likely that some, some people in the church would have been slaves. Slaves were variously treated in the empire depending on whom, whom it was they actually served. And uh, I'm not going to go in here to a whole biblical study on what the Bible says about slavery tonight. Paul assumes it here. It was a very real reality for people uh, in the church. These slaves um, are also to conduct uh, their, themselves um, so that they make the teaching about God our Savior attractive. They are to be subject to their masters and try and please them, even when that is difficult. They are to be, not to be obstinate or talk back to them. They are not to steal, but to show their masters that in everything they can be trusted. And so display gospel character that shows Christianity to be a force for good in that society. Paul's great concern is that the mission of the church, the message of the gospel, will not somehow be seen as alien, as, as dangerous, as a, a new sect that turns normal people into a problem for society. Rather that by the conduct of the church members, Christianity is seen as a force for good. That any complaint and accusation that is leveled against it will ultimately be proved false. Because it will be seen to be wrong. So we might summarize uh, the desire of Paul by saying that he wants healthy uh, or sound apostolic uh, doctrine. uh, The message of the cross right at the center of the church. The apostolic message of of the grace of God in Christ that leads to godliness and hope of eternal life. And in these churches, there is uh, to be healthy leadership, which is blameless in character, that holds firmly to the message of the gospel and is able not only to teach it and to encourage others in it, but also to stand against anything which is not the life-giving message of the gospel. And in these churches, in every town on the island, Paul wants to see healthy church members who model through the generations and sexes, uh, that, what, uh, that godliness, that godliness that he has been describing, that comes from that message. Members who by their lives and their lips display the transforming power of the gospel in their godliness and upright lives in the midst of a decadent and morally corrupt Crete. So that no charge, no accusation can be made against the gospel. And, that it, and so that it attracts those who are outside. And friends, as our society becomes increasingly pagan and lets go of its Christian past, its Christian uh, understanding, its Christian rational, rationalism, the gap between the way the pagan world lives and the way that we will live will become ever more pronounced and ever more observable. In a world of selfishness, we are called to live selflessly. In a world of greed and gain, we are called to live graciously and generously. In a world that is morally confused, we are called to live upright and godly lives according to that healthy message of the gospel, the grace of Christ. We are called to model what is in accord with the gospel of grace. To the generations that come after us, 
to display in the relationships we have the love that Christ has shown us. Older men, younger men, older women, younger women. Those in all walks of life. Does that characterize you? And why do we do it? What possible motive is there for such a radical change of living? Well, that's a sermon for two weeks' time. But let's take a sneak peek. Verse 11. God's grace. God's grace. Because God has redeemed us in Christ because he has given himself for us so that we can give ourselves for him. And that is the only thing that can possibly bring the type of transformation that Paul describes. This grace is the only thing that allows us to say no to ungodliness and live upright and godly lives in this age as we wait for the second coming of Jesus. We don't live this way to to earn our acceptance or to display to the world how great we are, but rather because we have already been accepted by repentance and faith in Jesus. And now we live differently. We take off that old self and we put on Christ. We live lives that are godly and upright so that the world will know. Know what? Know what sort of wonderful people we are? No, of course not. That they will know that the the God who made it all possible. So that we will fulfill exactly what Jesus told us to be like. That we may so live before men that they may see our good deeds and do what? Glorify us? And glorify your Father who is in heaven. And this pattern of healthy doctrine producing healthy lives that is proclaimed to the world in our message, in our lifestyle, is a powerful combination. These two have been joined together. A healthy message of the gospel and a healthy lifestyle lived according with it. So what God has joined together, let none of us separate it. The truth that leads to life and the lives that lead others to the truth. If this, uh, what Paul describes is the uh, ideal or the model church as we've been thinking about, if what, if, if what Paul is describing here could be said to be the model church and uh, if it was hung in a gallery as a beautiful masterpiece and if St. Peter's was hung up beside it How would we compare? Let's pray. You've been listening to a sermon from St. Peter's Free Church in Dundee, the historic church of Robert Murray McShane. For more sermon content, please visit our website at stpeters-dundee.org.uk That's www.stpeters-dundee.org.uk dundee.org.uk
For information and training on persuasive evangelism and how to share your faith biblically, as well as Christian commentary on the latest current affairs in Scotland, please visit the website of SOLAS, the Centre for Public Christianity, at solace-cpc.org. Once again, that's www.solas-cpc.org. Thanks for listening. Thank you.